get started. Well, as we uh, labeled this class, it's hot topics. Controversial questions that and like cutting last um, week, I got a lot of experience in it working with Father, thank you for under these subjects and demand for, um, uh, God, I thank you that there is all of our frailties and that you would really equip the body of Christ and to love, um, well, especially those who are strong. I do pray that, God, that you would bring light to their, God, that you would... Um, happy Mother's Day to all of you. I just want to tell you how my Mother's Day started out because it's kind of fun. Um, Elliot had nightmares all night last night about, for those of you who were here yesterday at the Awana Fun Fair... <laughs> Elliot slept in our bed, cried in her sleep all night last night, and said, no, don't get me, and screamed most night because of the gingerbread man and the guy with the mask on. <laughs> then at about 6 o'clock, she woke up, looked me right in the face. She was still asleep, slapped me across the face, and went back to bed. <laughs> so, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Hope you started off better than mine did. Um, I was like, wow, all right. Um, today we are going to be talking about um, something that is um, very familiar to many of you. Um, I know that many of you have had a struggle with this very topic that we're going to be talking about today, and it's a very common topic. Um, I'll be honest, I have found preparing this presentation kind of daunting um, because I just want to be very sensitive to a lot of the places that a lot of all of us are in, in accordance with object. And so I hope that I just honor everyone in your journey and where you're at, and most of all, just honor Christ and, and what he um, has to say regarding to this subject. Um, First off, uh, we talked last week about The Magic School Bus and um, how this is one of my favorite books when I was little because I love just the experiential concept of getting inside of what's going on. And so today we're going to be writing The Magic School Bus, hopefully, with uh, depression, despair, and suicide. Not too much on the money of those subjects. Um, but I want to give you a little taste of what it's like to live with this, what it's like to experience this, and what it is to just kind of be feel like you're trapped by this. And so... Um, I also want to say that if you guys have any questions, we're going to try to have an extended question time at the end because I know that there are a lot of questions about this. So I just encourage you to write any questions that you have in the margin of your notes as we go. So the first thing I want to look at is, um, let's see, I'm going to look at this real quick, which is the downward spiral. And I want to kind of give you guys just kind of a feeling for what this is. So these are all related to each other, and I really believe that they are kind of like an abyss of a downward spiral. And it starts with discouragement, works through depression, then ends up with despair. And then for some who get trapped in the complete darkness, ends up in suicide. So I want to give you a taste of what discouragement is. And so we are going to use um, our room to kind of experience what this is like. And so, Michael, go ahead. This is kind of what discouragement is like. Everything is faded in life. We still have some bright colors kind of around us. We can still kind of have a little bit of pizzazz. But there's just this overall general sense of like, ugh. No, it's not too dark. It's not, it's not that you're, you know, on the brink of anything. Discouragement we're going to talk about in a second is a universal experience for everyone. And it's something that we should expect because we live in the world and our world is full of sin. But at the same time, it's just everything's a little dimmer. Um, so we go to the next one, which is depression. Depression is kind of like all of the pizzazz and all of the color gets turned off in our life. We still have a source of um, kind of like light inside of our hearts. We can still kind of sometimes, you know, to the varying degrees of depression, and, um, get up and do stuff. Sometimes you can't. Um, you know, depression is a hard word because it's kind of like, oh, I'm depressed. And that means like you just kind of have a heaviness around you. You do everything. Or you could be like depressed and you don't shower and you don't go to work. You know, it's, a, it's a tricky subject. But at the same time with depression, to some degree, there's still some source of light inside of yourself, still some kind of motivation that can get you up and going to some degree and um, can make things happen. Now, if we were to look at despair, go ahead and turn them off. Despair is kind of like, not that, okay. Um, 
despair is kind of like, okay, inside of your own self, there's not much light going on. Still, occasionally, you can sense light from other people, maybe from God, from other things that are going on outside of, of you and, and what's happening. Um, but you need other people and you need the Lord to be really making things clear in order to bring any kind of light into your heart and what's going on. So, suicide, people get to the point of complete no light, kind of like this. Not only do you no longer have any light that's going on inside of yourself, but all of the former sources of light, it's just one and it swings over, all of the former sources of light from the outside that also could have come and given you hope have also darkened off. So no longer do you see any kind of possibilities. No longer do you see any way out. No longer do you see anything that's happening. So uh, this is a hard place to be, obviously. Um, and it's kind of a hard downward spiral to take. And it's something that we're going to talk about each one of these aspects in detail a little bit today. And I just hope that this gives you a little bit of a taste for what it is that's going on inside someone's heart who's experienced spiral. So, Michael, go ahead and turn the lights on. Um, the main verse that I want you guys to be thinking about today as we're covering all of this is John 10.10. 10. And this is a very um, personal verse for me. This is a verse that just fuels my ministry and counseling a lot. And um, it's the fact that the thief... You know, Satan and evil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you a life abundant, which is what Jesus said in John 10.10. And what we see with depression, what we see with discouragement, what we see with despair, and what we see with suicide is the thief trying to come and take over and take people's life, take their joy, take their effectiveness, take their kingdom purpose and all this stuff away and seek to steal and kill and destroy them. Um... And so that is why it's so important, I think, for us, especially as believers, to really be on this and to be making sure that he gets no foothold in our lives whatsoever in this area, as much as. So I want to look at a couple of biblical figures. There are a lot of biblical figures. I picked out some of the main ones that um, had a wrestle with depression. If I had to put up a picture of what it's like to be with depression, I feel like it's a, it's a constant wrestling match. It's, oh, I'm on top and I'm feeling better. Oh, it's, oh, they're on top and it's, you know... It's, it's hard. It's hard. It's a wrestle, and it takes our energy, and it takes a lot of our oomph into our life. And so I just, here's a couple examples of biblical figures. Um, Job. He is a great example of physical and or emotional pain that became too great. Um, Job 30, 16, and 17 says, Now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. At night it pierces my bones, and not my gnawing pains take no rest. Elijah, he's a great example of that of after an emotional or spiritual high, you can experience either burnout or just an onset of depression. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough, O Lord, take my life. Jonah experienced hopelessness and discouragement. And he said, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better for me than life. David, he experienced numerous losses, one after another, and he said, My tears have been my food day and night. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become so despair? Yeah, Jeremiah, he experienced a lack of response from others. Here he is, he's trying to lead people. He's like, Yes, let's get going, let's get going. And everyone's like, No. He said, my soul has been rejected from peace. I've forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, and so is my hope in the Lord. And Jesus, he anticipated such loss and such pain that he began to also go into such a de- deep state of like grieving. And, and he said, my soul is deeply grieved to death. 
Also, a lot of historical figures. I mean, if I were to list all the you know, historical figures that are well-known for accomplishing great things in the world also that have dealt with depression, we would be here all day. But just a couple ones I thought were interesting. I mean, think of the things that these men accomplished. Winston Churchill, Charles Spurgeon, George Frederick Handel. They accomplished great, big, and beautiful things. And maybe it's the same thing as Elijah, accomplishing so much and then having that depression sit in afterwards. Um, so it is not an experience that is uncommon. And... Uh, something that we see all throughout the Bible, people deal with in four different causes and in different ways. So again, we have the downward spiral like I talked about earlier. The fact that this kind of gets you trapped, and it kind of just is like a, a toilet bowl. Keep going and going and going. So the first element of this is discouragement. Um, I would kind of define discouragement, and a lot of what I'm going to be um, outlining today comes from this book, which I encourage everyone to get if you work with people at all. It's a gigantic um, book, as you can see. It's called Christian Counseling, a Comprehensive Guide, and it just kind of touches on a lot of different subjects in brief little ways, but is a great job of organizing thoughts on them by Gary Collins. And so he defines it as a mild, usually temporary, and almost universal mood swing that comes in response to disappointments, failures, and losses. So if any of us in this room were to say, oh, I've never had a time when I was discouraged, I would probably tell you that you were lying. Because it is a universal experience that everyone gets in their life at some point or another. Um, we're going to talk about this more later also. The next one is depression. So if you saw someone who is depressed, maybe you would see the following. It affects a couple different areas primarily. First would be feelings. Feelings of sadness, sometimes for no apparent reason. Low self-esteem, often accompanied often accompanied by self-criticism and feelings of guilt, shame, worthlessness, and helplessness, pessimism and hopelessness, and sometimes irritability, so the person is more prone to impatience and loss of dot, 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 their temper. <laughs> Somehow disappeared from there. Their thinking. Depression also affects our thinking. Negative thoughts. Ruminating on their own incompetence and lack of worth. Many experience difficulties in concentration, problems with memory, pessimism, guilt, self-criticism, self-condemnation, and sometimes thoughts of self-destruction. Thoughts seem to be trapped on a spinning wheel. Behavior. There's a general sense of apathy and a sense of inertia are common. A person lacks motivation and finds it difficult to get motivated or to face decisions. Also common are a loss of spontaneity, social withdrawal, and constant complaining. In more extreme cases, there may be a neglect of personal appearance or hygiene. Work productivity goes down and household responsibility. So I know on one of the questions for group discussion, oh, they make it up. Oh, the true and false, there we go. That depression affects the economy and that depression affects the local church. Both of those would be true um, because when we have a whole bunch of depressed people in our workforce, we are not getting nearly as much accomplished as we could be. And when we have a whole bunch of depressed people in our church, um, I mean, that affects our, our, our ministry huge. It affects the way that we interact with people huge. It affects the honesty, the integrity. It affects so many things going on with body there. Another area that affects big time is physical health. So general fatigue is common, despite more time spent sleeping. It's like you can never just get on top of it. You can never get on top of that feeling of just a dark cloud, almost of just exhaustion. Depression also brings a loss of energy, a lack of interest in work, relationships, spiritual growth, hobbies, or other activities. Insomnia, or an inability, inability to concentrate, loss of appetite, and sometimes frequent complaining about aches and pains. Uh, someone who is chronically depressed, their immune system becomes suppressed, making them more susceptible to illness, and increased chances of coronary heart disease is also a major, very common uh, depression. All right, so I just wanted to give kind of a rundown of different 
types of depression, and this would be different psychological categories. So, like, if you were going to go to the doctor or you were going to look yourself up in um, a medical book, this is the kind of categories that they put it in, which I think is helpful to understand and helpful to frame it out with. So, dysthymic disorders, this is um, very long-standing um, very long-standing season of depression, right? But it never affects you so much that you can't function, right? So some people with major depression, like I said, they're not getting out of bed, they're not showering, they're not going to work, they're not going out with people. That's major depression. Dysthymic disorders is something that's just more like, major depression is like this, right? Ooh, a very deep place to be. Dysthymic disorders is just general, like, low and you stay there for a long, long period of time. So it's there, it's real, it's affecting everyone around you. It's a chronic daily depression, but it's not severe enough to prevent normal functioning. But at the same time, it kind of turns those lights down low on things like energy, enthusiasm, creativity, or ability to enjoy life. Um, seasonal affective disorder, this is something that probably, I don't know, I think everyone has experienced this to a certain um, When we live in Illinois and it's like winter for jobs of months, but that's um, and this is very much um, related to the amount of light that we receive. Um, it's just that kind of general thing that, you know, when it comes like an April day and the sun is shining, it's a little warm outside, and you're like, I love this. And it's just, and you, and, and, and you realize, like, wow, I, I really love this. And it just kind of affects your mood and affects, like, everything that you're feeling. Um, that's seasonal affective disorder is just kind of periods of depression, apathy, and withdrawal that most often appear in the winter months in places where the days are shorter and the periods of darkness are longer. Um, it's most common in Alaska and Seattle, like, hands down. Um, and so that's why people get, like, if you've ever heard of them, happy lights. I would love one if anyone wanted me. I'd love to have it in my office while I work with people. Let's just turn on the happy light, and people be, like, magically better by the end. Um, but, like, what it is is it just gives you, like, the natural, the same effect as, like, sunlight does, and um, that's the main thing that people are treated with that, and it actually does wonders. Yes, there's so much thinking and cognitive aspect to it, too, but um, this one's kind of just, you know. Um, so, bipolar disorders. This is probably most of you would be familiar with this being called manic depressive disorders. Um, it involves a period of mania, which is like um, a high, an extreme high all the time. So your emotions are just like, woo, we're going to go somewhere, we're going to do something, I feel awesome, we have so much energy, and you're just like kind of uncontrolled behavior, willing to take great risks, and it's just like, woo, and it's just all the time. And then it's like, Gah! And then you just reach this low, and the low is just low, low, low. And so it's just this constant swing of a mood. Woo! Up and then down. So that's why we call it bipolar. So there's like two poles, and you're just like one pole to the other pole, one pole to the other pole. And um, every person who struggles with bipolar, bipolar is usually something that you begin to see like in your late teens to your early 20s, and it kind of continues to go through five of your life. This is one of the ones that have like more of like a scientifically researched genetic origin of just having a very hard time controlling your mood and having a very hard time experiencing any kind of like in the middle normal life. Um, postpartum disorders, obviously they come um, after a pregnancy when your hormones have like kind of trying to achieve balancing out at like a, a, a normal level again. Um, postpartum depression is usually short, um, but it can be, you know, pretty intense, but most people experience it in kind of what they call like the baby blues. Sadness and this kind of just, ugh, that happens after we have a baby. Um, and we have major depressive disorders, like I talked about. This is the most severe, probably the most complex, and the most studied of the depressive disorders. Um, and that's just the deep, deep depression. Then we have mood disorders, which kind of cover a whole variety of different terms that include depression and other emotions, but it's just like 
something's not right going on there. All right, so here's where we get into the um, exciting part where I know that some of you are going to want to stand up and be like, I don't know about that. That's for the heads. Um, all right, so we have three main categories of causes slash factors, and I kind of wanted to put like 52 words in there, but I just stopped with that. Um, so that, this is what we're going to call them, causes and factors. And the first part is the biological and the genetic causes. Um, getting to like research this and getting to kind of live in this world, there's no doubt that there's some kind of genetic disposition towards many of these um, things. Now, can we argue if that's nature versus nurture? I think we surely could. I think when you grow up in a home and you see someone, um, example for you, you know, like anxiety or depression, Depression or dealing with your thoughts and, and that's how you deal with life, that you learn how to do that and it's very hard to learn how to do that otherwise. Um, nature, I do think that there's a genetic uh, component to it, so absolutely, in terms of the fact that you are more predisposed to having a problem with this. Um, in my opinion, I don't think that that gives you any more right or any more, more acceptance that, okay, yeah, well, I just runs in my family, so I am, it's just kind of what I'm going to um, I think that there's so many things that run in our families between, you know, a disposition for any kind of addiction, whether it be like a disposition for lying, a disposition for uh, pretty much any sin that we can kind of name down, but that doesn't give us the right anymore to like grasp onto and call it ours and think that it's acceptable. Um, but that definitely is a huge aspect. Like we said before, hormones play a huge part of this. Um, some serious factors that need to be taken to also I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Psychological, which would be psychological cognitive causes. I personally, the people that I work with the most, um, I see biological and social environmental influences go into what's happening with their depression, but the psychological cognitive causes are like kind of like the one that's like flashing lights, like, oh my goodness, these are what are keeping this there, and this is what's happening. Um, and so a couple of them are background and family. Um, I mean, having a hard life, growing up in a family of abuse, growing up in a family where you had no voice, you weren't allowed to deal with your emotions, all those kind of things, that's, I mean, that's huge. That's huge. It's a very hard point to be able to deal with your emotions appropriately. Um, stress and significant losses, I mean, whether this be death, whether this be loss of jobs, whether this be, um, you know, just stress at work, stress to perform, stress to excel, or any of those things, all um, causes. Learned helplessness, this is one that I wanted to read about a little bit. Um, so basically this is the, the theory that it's way easier to get depressed when we learn that our actions are futile no matter how hard we try or that nothing can be done to relieve suffering, reach a goal, or bring about change. These are times when we feel helpless and give up trying. And um, So this is a lot that, like, you know, as you grow up, you try to change, then it doesn't work. Or you try to state your opinion and then no one listens to it. And so it's this constant, like, as you're growing up and as you're in kind of like this very sensitive developmental time in your life, you begin to learn, like, ah, well, when I put effort to it anyways, it doesn't work, so I am not going to do that. Um, cognitive causes, that we're going to talk about this a lot more later, um, but this is just the way we think. This is the way that the things that you allow your mind to think on. And so whether that be about the world, just a negative view about the world, oh, just nothing ever works out. Oh, look at that. That's totally what I expected. About self, I am so stupid. I can't believe it again. Yep, I did it again. I will never be able to get over this. Or the future, it's just not going to work out. Nothing ever goes my way. Nothing ever goes the way that I wanted to. Um, anger, that's a huge one. When we get anger undealt with and we hold on to it and we baby it and we, we love on it and we kind of just keep it inside of our hearts and keep it there. For any of you who read C.S. Lewis, he has like this lizard of lust that he uses in one of his books and that's how I always think of anger too. It's like this best friend that you like feed and you're like nurturing, but at the same time you hate it, but you, you kind of just always spend time just being okay with it. Um, anger is the same way. It can cause such 
severe parts of depression in our hearts. And then sin and guilt, that's a big one. Um, I mean, how many people have I worked with that find that they're in depressed because the way that they're living is just so not anywhere according to God's standards. They're feeling that burden. They're feeling this is not working out. And in those cases, I've told them, like, the Lord has given you this as a gift to say, hello, wake up, this is not where he wants you to be. Um, so then there's also social environmental influences. A lot of this can be body, poor eating habits, huge. Intake of sugar, huge, because sugar completely affects your mood and the way that you have mood swings up and down. Um, you know, that's pops, that's, that's so much stuff. Um, insufficient sleep. And a lack of exercise, a lack of using your body for what it was made for, are all huge, huge um, influences in this. So, um, like I said, I think a lot of it comes back to the cognitive causes. Um, I think when we look at different causes and factors, we can look, okay, what got me to this point? How did I get here? Oh, my goodness, whatever. And we can spend a lot of time, and I think it's appropriate in our hearts to spend some time looking at what has caused this. But then you get to some point, you think, wow. I don't know how I got to this point, but I'm here now, and so i got to do something in order to move forward. And I think a lot of that freedom comes to cognitive work, which we're going to talk about, which is our thinking. So, we have discouragement, we have depression, which we just kind of hit on, and now despair. And despair is simply, it's a complete lack of hope. So, all, like I said before, when we were doing our little experiential drive-through depression, is that it's like all the lights have turned off inside of you. Like, I hope, where's hope? Nope, I don't see it. The only kind of hope that you're going to be seeing is going to be from those outside windows coming into your heart. Um, this is a very dark place. It's a very hard place to be in. And we have to be careful um, as people lovers and of being Christ to people that we watch out for people who fall into this. Because it's very hard when you're in despair to pull yourself out of it. And we have to be the sources of light from the outside to other people's hearts to remind them of truth and to be helping them kind of work to that part where you can kind of turn on those lights even if it's dim. Alright, so last we get to suicide. And I just want to, um, first of all, define it. I want to talk about some statistics here. So, suicide is, I, you know, this is how I define it. Surrendering to the darkness by taking one's own life. And at that point, as we looked at John 10.10, then you are stolen, you are killed, and you are destroyed. Um, biblical figures who have committed suicide include Samson, Saul, his Saul's armor bearer, and Judas. And there's more too. Um, I think ugh, it's like my, one of my least favorite subjects to talk about because it's so final, right? In my job with people that I work with, um, I love whatever it is that they bring to me because I feel like okay, we got something to work with here. Suicide just absolutely sinks, obviously, because it's like. Ugh, like, the devil just got a complete victory over that person's life because they believe that there was no hope, they bought into that lie, and then they acted on it. Past week alone in this area, there have been several suicides of people, especially adolescent and um, early uh, college years. Um, we had uh, one student at our, in, in chaos who had a good friend who committed suicide this last week um, on an impulse, which we're going to talk about, the, the common uh, growing problem of impulse suicides, um, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. A couple of suicide statistics as we look at this um, is that the national, and these are, this is where these stats come from, the National Institute of Mental Health says that about 32,000 deaths occur every year, which equals, by suicide, by the way, um, which equals one suicide every 16 minutes. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention says that it's the third leading cause of death for children ages adolescents, 15 to 19, and young adults. Caucasians absolutely have the highest incidence rate, um, followed closely by Native Americans. But over the past two decades, I thought this was interesting, the rate has over doubled for African Americans. Um, there are four male suicides for every one female, but females make up twice the amount of attempts than men. Okay, so does that make sense?
And so um, that is because men generally choose to use more lethal ways of committing suicide, so they are more successful, um, even though... Um, Major depression, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, alcoholism, and substance abuse are all comorbid fact contributing factors, which means that these things, when they're present, just totally push these things to happen way more. That is most common among teenagers, people who live alone, the unmarried, especially divorced, adults who are abused as children. Um, so then we have our impulses versus despondent, and these are the kind of the categories that, like, I made up because <laughs> I just see this growing trend of impulsive suicides where it's like I'm an adolescent or most of the time, most of the, all the ones that I'm talking about have all been like sophomores in high school through just graduated um, college. And it's the, oh my gosh, something just happened. I think I'll go take my life. So I had the chance to be able to, and I wish I could remember her name right now, but um, talk with a girl. She went to Moody actually. Because one time when she was just having a very hard time, she threw herself on the train tracks and um, lost her legs to the train because she was trying to commit suicide. But she actually felt like a great like pressure push her, which actually, if, I guess if you know train physics, which I don't, um, the train would like pull you and suck you up underneath it and take it with you. But somehow she like stayed pressed down and it took her legs off, but she like remained alive. Um, underneath the train, and so one of her greatest like missions in life now is this whole like impulsive suicide thing. Like, oh, I said fight with my parents. I think I'll go kill myself. Like, no, no. Like, there's hope. Like, there's so many other ways out than feeling like I will just take that out. Same um, with a lot of the, at least the perspective on the suicides that have happened in adolescence in our area at the high schools between St. Charles, Wheaton, and the, like other areas. I don't know if you guys are aware, but there's been like a great uprising suicides in like our. Area, suburban area in the um, recent, probably about three years, and a lot of them have been like, I had a fight with my parents, I went and hung myself, I just did this, oh, I just did this, and it's just like, oh, it's so dark, and it's not someone who's struggling with depression, it's not someone who's had any signs of anything, it's just this impulsive, like, way of dealing with their emotions, and it's just sad, and so we're going to talk about ways to try to prevent that. But over 70% still of all people who commit suicide do give some warning. So um, on your pieces of paper, you'll see that on the back there are a whole bunch of suicide warning signs that you guys can read through. It's on the top of page 3 at some point. Um, so just real quickly, suicide assessment. You have people who, in your life who are suicidal, who are saying they want to take their life. These are just some of the things I want you guys to keep in mind. Um, the first thing is that you need to get them help. Because suicide is often a cry that, like, I'm at the end of my road. I don't see any more light coming in. I don't know what else to do, so this is what's going to happen. Um, so get them help. Like, take them to a place. Take them to any place. There are so many national hotlines. You, there are so many wonderful places that can help deal with suicide. The second thing is, like, the lethality scale. You need to understand, next with the passive wish, active wish, is this, like, I just want my life to end because I'm so overwhelmed? Or is this, like, I just want my life to to end, so tonight I'm going to go home and I have this bottle of medicine that I've already purchased and it's sitting on my counter and I'm going to take it at 10 o'clock. So you, some part of that is, like, you have to understand, like, your reaction based upon, like, the lethality of what it is that they're saying and what it is that they're planning to do. And the lethality part of it, too, is, like, am I going to go and try to hurt myself by taking four ibuprofen instead of two or am I going to shoot myself in the head with a gun? So you got to understand, like, right, that's like a passive wish versus an active wish, and passive gestures versus active gestures. So one of the things that, I don't know if you guys noticed the tree on the first um, slide, 
But one of the things is that I want all of you in this room to take away from this day is like, wow, how do I be a light and help bring light internally into people who are experiencing this? So this is what I hope that everyone feels at the end of the day, is a tree that's budding with life and it has light shining through it, and that we bring life and that we experience upward spiral of hope and what that means and, and, and the color that that can kind of like bring back into people's hearts. Um, that's really small. Um, a lot of times, like I said, when we are building that light back in, so let's say it's still dark in here, a lot of times for people, the light it has to start from outside sources. Like a lot of times, you just need someone coming alongside of you to be like, all right, listen, there is light from outside, and you need to try to be working to get that back inside of yourself. And when I think of light, obviously, I love the fact that we think of Christ, and we think of God reaching down. And there are so many verses on, on God being our light and of Christ being our light. These are a couple in the Old Testament. It says, let's see, Isaiah 53.11 says, After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will pay you many, and he will bear their iniquities. Um, he said, Isaiah 58, 8-10 says, And your light will break forth from the dawn, and healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your re- rear guard. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Um, these are like phenomenal verses. We don't have time to go through all of them. But a lot of them talk about how, okay, if, if God has allowed this darkness in your life, then he's going to have a light that's going to break through and be able to satisfy you, be able to heal you, be able to be your good, and all of these kind of things. And a lot of that, I love that Isaiah 58 talks about too, is that if you go and take that light, that little bit of light that starts to come in, and you start to like spread it to other people, then it's just going to further like bring about even more light inside of your own heart. And the biggest thing is that the source of light that we have in our lives is in Christ alone. So, I mean, I found so many verses, but I just thought, we'll just stick with this one. John 8, 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, and so the biggest thing and the best thing that you can do if you struggle with depression, if you know someone who struggles with depression, and when I say depression, I'm meaning discouragement through despair, everything, um, is bring them to the cross and help them understand what it is that Christ can like enter into their lives and bring light into their hearts. And we're going to talk about that. Um, I think it's important to remember that um, hope is rooted in Christ. So whether we find it through medication, whether we find it through different kinds of treatment, whether we find it from a, a light that gives off rays of sun, <laughs> hope is still rooted in Christ. It's overseen and it's given by Christ. Um, Christ knows all about emotional suffering. Okay, he has endured more emotional suffering than you and I will ever have the capacity to be able to go through when he was on the cross. And he understands that very well. Um, Isaiah 61, uh, we're running out of time, but I love the fact that he says that he has the biggest, God has the biggest desire to be able to take your ashes and turn them into like, beautiful things. And that he has a desire to like bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives. So... If this is some, this depression is something that you struggle with, I encourage you to turn to this passage and meditate on it because these are God's promises and this is what he really seeks to accomplish. So it comes to a point where we have a choice. Um, and this is a hard part. This is a very hard part for lots of people to get, right? Because here it is, whatever the cause, whatever the factors that have gone into depression, 
you know, so many people find themselves, well, here I am. I don't know exactly what's caused it. I don't know exactly what's gone behind this. But I sit here, and I'm feeling it, right? And I've tried these different things, but it is a struggle. Like I said before, it is like a wrestling match for me to deal with it. Um, I think one of the best places that we can start with is accepting where you're at. Because the thing that keeps us in depression a lot of times is an overarching feeling of shame and guilt that I'm even here in the first place. I think especially as Christians, we have this shame like, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be feeling this. And then it just kind of sets into the shame, and then the shame kind of just keeps you here and it keeps you locked. And so we talked about last week with self-injury, is that the shame fuels that cycle of going and going and going. And it works the same exact way for depression. And so here it is. I'm, oh, and then you don't talk to people about it, and it's like we talked about last week that secret secrets are no fun. Um, they destroy everyone, and that's the same thing with depression. When we don't talk about the reality of how we're feeling, when we don't talk about what we're experiencing with people, and we don't let people inside of our lives, it stays in the darkness, and it grows, and it ferments, and it molds, and it just can take over us. So the first thing is that we need to accept where we are, that God has somewhere in his sovereignty allowed us to come to this place, so therefore I believe he seeks to accomplish something in our hearts and work something through us. The idea of acceptance is not necessarily like a, a, only to Christianity idea or a new idea, but it's the fact that I believe that that's where you have to start is, okay, if we believe that God is sovereign, if we believe that he is in control of everything that's going on, um, this has been permitted for my benefit in some way, even though to me it's not feeling like it very much, and for the advancement of his kingdom, my job is to try to respond in humility and brokenness and um, to try to work on it with whatever resources I can grasp at in order to make it happen. And this doesn't mean, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that you're like, today I make a choice, and tomorrow I will be better. Um, the choice is kind of a, a series of choices, and you have to make it again and again and again. And the road to overcoming depression can be very long. It can be difficult. It can be marked with mood fluctuations that come with special intensity with failures and separations. Um, but it absolutely is a choice. Am I going to stay here, or am I going to move forward? Um, I do believe more and more just secular psychological research just does all this research on can happiness be chosen, can happiness be learned through practicing it, through embracing it, um, which we would say biblically, like, absolutely. Like, absolutely, the Bible constantly talks about choosing to think on certain things, choosing to have certain attitudes, and practicing it. And sometimes it's practice, 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 practice. But absolutely, one of your questions was, can happiness be um, chosen? Absolutely, I believe so. All right, so, okay. So this is one of the last things that, wow, it's tiny. Hope you all have good eyesight. Um, one of the last things that we're going to talk about, and I'll give you the references so you can write them down. But this is this is thought work, and so this comes from like a secular psychological perspective, from like cognitive behavioral therapy. But this is what we would call the Bible's way of approaching um, your thought life, right? Because we talked before that cognitive, the way that you think. These, this is a lot of what causes depression because we think and we get trapped in these cycles. We get trapped in this hamster wheel of negative thoughts. And then so what we have to do, um, I, I struggled with preparing this because I thought, okay, there's about 500 things that we could talk about and what you could do to alleviate depression um, depending on what's causing it, depending on where you're at. And I thought, okay, this is just the one that I feel like is is universal for everyone, no matter where you're at, no matter what part you're in. And the first thing is that we are all responsible for capturing our thoughts. And so I have the guy with the lasso there, because that's totally how I always think about it. It's like, these thoughts are going around in our mind, they're on this wheel, they're on this wheel, and our responsibility is to capture that thought and be like, uh-uh, you are not going to just spin around on the ride. And 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3-5 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, which is a reminder 
don't be thinking that what's going on inside your head is something that's um, not a spiritual battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, so this is a major thing for depression. It's I have all these thoughts, I have all these negative things going on inside of my head, and what is it that I do? I'm responsible, and the one of the biggest things that's going to give me every thought captive and making it obedience. Is this thought obe- is this thought pleasurable to Christ? Is He pleased by me thinking this? The first thing is capturing. The second stage is permitting, and that is. Um, okay, so I've captured these thoughts, and then you kind of got to look at it. Okay, is this obedience to Christ? Huh, well, I don't know. That's why I love Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Because it tells you exactly what you're supposed to be dwelling on. It tells you exactly what you're supposed to be thinking about. It says, Following it, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So I have a picture of a gate down here, because I call this the gate verse. And I, that's not a new concept. I, I learned that from someone at Nank. But because what it is, is it's like, okay, so we take that first word true. All right, that's the first gate. Is this thought that I'm thinking true? Sometimes it is. Sometimes negative thought is true, right? And you're like, oh, well, yeah, it is. I get to keep thinking about it. But that's when you've got to run into the next one. Is this a noble thought? Not many thoughts make it pain. Um, is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? I love the lovely one because I can work with my clients when we get to the lovely one. But is this a lovely thought? And they're like, and so, and I love the result. He says that the peace is going to be with you. When you choose to think upon these things, when you choose to combine capturing with permitting, and you have embraced this system of the way that you think, whether you're half asleep, whether you're fully awake, whether you're journaling, whether you're talking, whatever it is, this gives so much freedom to people because it makes you take back your thoughts and really put them, subject them in obedience to Christ. And a lot of this, too, I just have to mention, comes in um, like the way that we talk to ourselves, self-talk, which is, um, I call it reverse pride, which um, I'm, I've run out of time, but I wanted to go into this whole how pride affects our um, healing from depression, so if that's something you're interested in, come back to me. But um, self-talk, when we are constantly criticizing ourselves, when we're like, oh, that was so stupid. I can't believe I did that. Uh, 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 and that kind of just self-criticisms all the time, whether it's out loud, whether it's in our heads, um, these grandized negative statements about ourselves, it's pride coming up like backwards. All right? And so sometimes pride is like, I'm awesome. I can do anything. You should all love me. And that's why people, especially who struggle with this, think of pride. But really, generally, people are st- stuck in pride also. Um, because it's guilt and condemnation, thinking that, like, I'm so worthless and I can't do anything right. And that's the same kind of pride that comes up, like, backwards. And so, um, we have to skip that proud versus broken people. Yeah, I have a great little bookmark if you want to look at that. So, how to help. Um, first thing to do is connect. Connect, connect, connect. Like we said, someone with depression feels like they are, um drawing so that you need to help them connect and whenever we feel like with all these things of our heart these things that weigh our down and we want to we want to isolate ourselves sin always breeds in isolation so the best thing you can do is just go be around people as much as possible we need to adjust from all angles so sometimes that means making sure that someone is going to the doctor making sure that their hormone levels are getting checked out making sure that their you know thyroid is right making sure that all these different physical factors that can completely play into depression are all on target um, don't tell them, don't tell them these scripture verses, 
Like, you should take that thought captive, walk it with them. All right, let's take that thought captive. How is it to take that thought captive and make it obedience to Christ? Walk it with them. Telling people the Bible and scripture verses, like we talked about last week, is it's not a magical formula. It's not like a magic cookie. It's not something that they can eat and they can better. The best thing that you're going to be able to do is walk that gate for some, through with someone. All right, let's take that thought. What are you thinking? Oh, you're thinking that you're, you can't do anything right? Okay, well, is that true? Well, yeah, the last four things you've done aren't right. So, is that a noble thought? Is that noble about yourself? Is that a lovely thought? No, it's not. And walking that with them. Having close medication supervision. Um, I'm sure some will talk about medication, but if people are on medications, um, the best thing that you need to do is be supervised by someone you trust. Like, And that doesn't mean just your doctor. Um, Lots of doctors hand out depression medications like they are candy and like they are something for, like, strep throat. Um, I absolutely believe in medication, but I also absolutely believe that it is given out way too easily and way too frequently. You need to find someone who's going to supervise your medicine, who you trust and has the same kind of philosophy about medication. Get off of it as soon as possible and that there's also, like... Things that you're... You've never heard of the almond clinics. It's something I totally encourage you. If you Google almond clinics, it is they do brain specs. I can't talk about much right now. Phenomenal and fascinatingly interesting in what they do with people. Um, seek out hope. I mean, so many people sit in their beds depressed and just wallow. Um, does nothing really to help you get better. So you have to go find hope sometimes. Get up, get dressed, get out. Um, and redirect your focus. And that's the fact that sometimes when you are feeling so overwhelmed and depressed, the best thing that you can do is go focus on someone else. And um, so we uh, don't... Okay, I'm going to run through this really quick. Buckle up your seatbelts. Preventing depression and despair in your own heart. Um, I think the best thing that you can do... So say you're like, well, I'm not really depressed right now. I'm not really discouraged. Ah, what do I do? You all need to be on guard. And that's one of the best things that we need to understand about depression and discouragement. And that can come when we're least expecting it. And the best thing that we can do is guard our hearts against it so that we don't get to that place of being there, but that we fought it off ahead of time by doing preemptive work. And so the best thing you can do, I believe, is practice trusting in God. And so sometimes that takes practice. You're like, I trust in God. Of course I trust in God. No, sometimes that takes practice. Sometimes it takes you deliberately rehearsing the gospel every day to yourself and certain scriptures and reminding yourself that, like, I cannot, I'm not trapped by anything, okay? I can overcome anything. Go ahead. I think another thing is, like, understanding depression. We should expect discouragement and depression. We live in a world that is completely sinful and completely full of sin. So if we don't expect that we're going to be struggling with these sometimes, blah, 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 struggling with these sometimes, we are wrong. It's what we do with it when it comes that matters. Um, I think being alert to depression-prone situations, like post-pregnancy, um, different holidays and events of people that we've loved that we've lost, um, different hard times, job losses, things like that. Learn skills ahead of time. Handle your anger. Fight off your bitterness. Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Like we've talked about, these are like kind of all vague statements. I wish I could go into them more. I'd love for you to talk to me about you know, how we can do that more. Manage your stress. Choose to think differently, even if you're not in some de- depression, but you know that you don't talk to yourself very well. You know that you don't think about yourself. Work on it now before you get to that place. Build strong support systems now. So even if you're not struggling, you're like, wow, but I have like 12 people I could really turn to. Set your focus on loving others. So, woo, now you can unbuckle your seatbelt. So, we want to just have a time for questions. Um, the floor. Yes, I need to uh, If anyone's interested, this is like a fantastic thing about... Um, having pride and being broken, and that uh, what is a heart that God revives, what is a heart that he chooses to, like, work in, to, like, bring redemption to and bring healing. And so it's a fascinating little, I'll just leave them by the door. Often, 
right. often comes back to it. So what questions do you guys have when you go to... Yep, so the question is, how can you really know <laughs> um, when someone has lost their job, to what degree of seriousness that we need to take that kind of issue? Right. Good job. Um, we're wired in a... So I think, for example, oftentimes, um, I think um, lost his job... Um, it's just good for us to love them. Serving other people. I'll be honest, you know, most people walk around all day long of how are you? And upset when we come through the door of life. So, yeah. I agree with that. I think, I mean, I know there are some other factors involved in that situation, too, that I think increase the chance of impulsiveness of that situation. Um, but I think, yeah, just, I think that's when we have to do a better job, like Michael said, of just getting down deep into someone's situation and being like, okay, so where are you really at on this? Because I need to understand. Because I want to take care of you. Yep. And we understand that that's very hard and it goes to the core of who we, who we are and especially as who men are. Other questions? That's yeah, that's a tricky question, right? But at the same time, um, I think I've come to a pretty, like, stable answer for people I work with. I think medication should be used um, when people are at a point when they've tried a couple things and it's just like you're running into the wall. Because here's what I think medication does. I think that, um, well, let's go back a couple steps. Um, Either way, whether the fact that this is like a biological thing happening that's causing depression or our thoughts have caused this, one of the things that the almond clinics do is that they take pictures of your brain and they take pictures of your brain before and after. And, and one of the things that they have come up with their research is to justify the fact that like, um, yes, yeah, sometimes the way that you think can actually cause like biological things to go awry in your head. Right? And sometimes biological things cause things to go awry in your head and affects the way that you think. So it's not necessarily like a chicken before the egg, but like an egg before the chicken, but in this case it can be the chicken before the egg, and it can kind of just be like either thing, either or. So sometimes when people have tried and tried and it's just not getting them anywhere, I think that's a place where they have to consider like, okay, medication can be very helpful to like give you a little boost up. So right, it kind of balances out that biological stuff going on, kind of gives you like a clean slate, a fresh start, and says here's a little boost. Now you need to take that and you need to run with it, because I believe that it has to be in, in combination with some kind of like, therapy or counseling that's really just getting to the heart and the core of what's going on um, to sustain that for the long term of healing. But I think it's a great thing to like boost you and sustain you for a little bit. And um, it's all under the supervision of medical professionals and, you know, doctors who know about it way much more than I do. But, um, you know, in depression medication too, it can take a while to work. So sometimes people take a pill and they're like, I'm not feeling any better. It's been a week. You know, it, it unfortunately can take like six to 12 weeks to really set in and really begin to like make differences. So it's kind of sick by and you have to kind of to, to work through. But there's plenty of medical professionals out there who are very trustworthy in the, you know, that, and they're going to say, okay, my goal is to get you off this as soon as possible. And, to, and that's the kind of person that um, I'm most comfortable with um, in the doctors with the clients that I see. And, and, what's that? Right, and that's why lots of... go back to the way it was. That's why lots of people in the world, you know, they start taking uh, depression medicine and then they take more and then they take more and they take more higher doses, higher doses, because they're not really dealing with what's expecting it to be a cure-all, and it's just not. Technology is the best way to go about getting ahead. So, sadly, some things have the, the question from some. <laughs> yeah, I was just not sure I'm, I'm in the place. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's <laughs> <laughs> tough, right? I mean, I will tell you, yeah. Far secure. So, right? We need to go. I encourage you guys to talk to Brianne. Um, Brianne, I can put the. Oh, are they already back there? The sheets. Oh. Um, please take one of these. I just encourage you to read. Father, we love you very much again. Thank you.